Welcome to the I Love Alt Mortgages podcast, brought to you by Home Trust. And now, your host, Brennan Trenuth. Hey everyone, Brennan Trenuth here, your host of I Love Alt Mortgages by Home Trust. I'm very excited to have George Stamatakos from Centum Financial here joining us today for one of our very first podcasts. George has been in the industry for over 15 years and he manages a team of over 20 agents. His team does over 60 million in alternative volume each year. And in this episode, you'll find out how George navigated entering the mortgage industry after owning multiple businesses. How soul searching in the beginning taught him that discipline, research, and time are required to be successful. He talks about the importance of B2B sources of referrals to grow your business. We get into his perspective on how to slow it down and really understand what your client is asking for to truly manage expectations. There's so much to unpack in this conversation where George gets real, honest, and open to truly help you understand how you too can learn from mistakes and take your business to the next level. All right, George, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. So we're going to do a little warm up here. It's going to be some rapid fire questions and I want you to be as honest as possible. First question, is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes or no? And why? Yes, it is. Because there's a bun and there's meat. Number two, if someone was to write a book about you, what would the title be? Blurred vision. Number three, if you could travel in time, would you want to visit the past or the future? The future. Why? Because I write it every day. And number four, last one here. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Being able to fly, being able to teleport, being invisible, super strength, or the ability to talk to animals? That's a good one. I kind of want them all. I think I would have to choose talking to animals because I want to know what my dog is saying. I have the same issue. I was just thinking about our dog. So let's go with that one. Perfect. All right, let's get into this. You know, first and foremost, we want to know a little bit more of how did you get into the mortgage industry? Wow. So it was a while ago. I was actually speaking to somebody who was working for me in another business that I had owned back in the early to mid-2000s. He was actually a DJ. And I was asking him, what is he going to do with his life? Although I was paying him a lot of money to DJ at the club. And he had mentioned that he was doing the mortgage course at Seneca. (laughs) And I said, mortgage course? Tell me a little bit about it. So that was the actual first time that him and I actually spoke about the mortgage business, why he wanted to go into it and the opportunities that he felt he could open. Perfect. I mean, jumping into something like that where you had no experience in, what was your biggest fear leading into getting into the mortgage industry? Well, that's funny. After that conversation, I went to see my accountant and I said to him, what do you think about finance and mortgages? My accountant was looking at me going, here we go again, George, you're switching gears on me. What are you thinking? Told him about the conversation and said, Being in the bar and nightclub business back then, I was very content and things went fairly well for myself and my family. I was kind of looking for something a little bit different. I didn't know if I could have a 19-year-old tell me what to do and how to promote a nightclub. It was a lot more difficult as time went on. So I was saying to myself, okay, let's take a look at what the next steps are. And spoke to my accountant and he tried to discourage me from it. But he had somebody in his office that was an actual mortgage agent or broker, and he asked me to speak with him. Things started to evolve after that. So you jump into this brand new industry. It's got to be tough. What were two of the first challenges that you encountered once you started like getting into the groove of things? Back then, when I did become licensed and first started to try and understand where was I going to go for the business and 
speaking to the network that I had and the people that were willing to speak to me, the toughest thing that I think I experienced was I was very successful the first six months. People said, wow, you're in the mortgage business. I need some help. And I thought it was very easy. So the first six months was a windfall of closing many, many deals. And I believe that that was probably the worst thing that ever happened to me. After the six months, things were a lot different. I went ahead and sold the two bars and nightclubs that I had owned at that time. I said, okay, this is a good transition. Let me check it out. And I was still kind of looking. And I'm the type of person that was, I guess, buying and selling bars and nightclubs back then. So I didn't rule that out. But started to take a look at what financing was all about and how I want to navigate through the business. After the six months when things became a little different, I started to realize that I would have to actually work at it if I wanted to do something in this business. And you mentioned the first six months you were doing a lot of business, but a lot of times we hear agents jumping into the industry, it's usually pretty slow for the first little while. So what was that piece that just made it so much more busy for you? Was it just your connections at the time that just brought in more business right away? I felt being in the business that I was in, people wanted to talk to me. I guess when you're in that business and you're a magnified individual, if you set a meeting up or if you speak to somebody, they're going to want to take an interest into what you're actually saying. So I felt that being still in the business and speaking about financing and mortgages, everybody was like, wow, let's talk. I've got a situation. When I sold those businesses and felt that I was ready to kind of take this a little more seriously, those conversations and those people they stopped talking to me or they stopped calling. I mean, throughout all the years, you realize, are you B2B, are you B2C, or are you direct to a referral source? I started to realize that I was only speaking to consumers. So deals were getting done the first little while, but I didn't have a real estate agent. I didn't have referral sources at that point in time that were actually ready for me to help them with their business. And now you've been doing this for quite a number of years. I think you told me that you became a franchise owner in 2009. So what keeps you going day in, day out? What is it that drives you to stay in this industry and keep doing what you're doing? You have to be built a certain way. Sales is one thing, but if you're not disciplined, if you don't take this seriously, if you don't do the research, if you don't spend the time, I say this to the agents that are with me at my office, they have to spend the time. I don't think you're able to spend 100% of your time just reading guidelines. I don't think you should be spending 100% of the time on anything. You should be dividing your time by maybe three or four different things in the business. And if you're not a bona fide salesperson, if you don't know how it feels when somebody says no, if you don't have some type of amnesia, I guess, these things become very, very magnified when you're actually starting off in the business. So for me, I understood that if I was going to work at it, I would have to really understand who I was. Was I able to take somebody to say no, work at what I did wrong, or maybe my approach was wrong? So I did a lot of soul searching at the very beginning. I was actually traumatized at the very beginning because I did things I thought that I could do in the business, and I was told that I couldn't. And I'm glad that actually happened. It made me a better person in the business moving forward. So when I first bought the franchise, I was in a position where you kind of get scared straight on policies, rules, regulations. What does fraud really, really mean? You know, all these things were so big in my world that I just tried to do my best. And even to today, when somebody speaks to me, it's so much different today when you're dealing with your book of business or when you're prospecting than it was 10 years ago. The internet is such a big part of our business. And 
you have to know that people know more about mortgages and financing today than they did 10 years ago. Right. You also mentioned, you know, maybe a couple of mistakes you made early on in your career. Is there one that kind of just stands out where you just like learned the greatest lesson possible that just made you that much better moving forward? Well, I, the biggest mistake I ever made was not trusting the broker that I was with. I didn't know how to do that. Being somebody that's a business owner, it's hard to know that you're working under somebody's umbrella. I respect the broker so much for teaching me probably the biggest lesson I've ever been taught in life, mm-hmm. that you can't take anything for granted and you have to know where your place is. You have to know that you can or cannot do things, especially in a regulated business like this one. To this day, I don't know if I've ever told him how much I respect him and the fact that that relationship didn't go so well at the end, I deserved everything that happened. Right. Biggest lesson I ever learned in my life. In this industry as well, you need to have those partnerships. You need to feel trustworthy of the people that are working with you, your agents. As a lender, you know we want to be able to trust you know our broker partners that we deal with on a day-to-day basis too. So I think that's really important and it's something that you need to communicate with whoever you're working with. And from a lender perspective, talking to our broker partners making sure that everybody's on the same page, what our expectations are, what their expectations are. And I think that just goes a long way to solidifying a very strong relationship, especially in this industry. Let's jump into talking about alternative business. Obviously, home trust has you know, been in the industry a very long time, and the alt space is you know, our biggest niche. If you don't mind, how much B business do you do a year? That's a good question. So if I'm thinking about last year, 2020, which was a great year, I believe we did somewhere around 45 million in B business. And I believe that we'll be above that this year. That's awesome. That's amazing. And I know originally when you first started in the industry, you said they didn't really have key sources of business. You weren't working with realtors and that sort of thing. That's changed now, I would assume. What are your key sources of getting that business in the door? That's a good question. So the number one is working the book of business that you actually have. I believe that that is invaluable. I don't know anybody who is insanely successful without having a component of their strategy or their particular business plan of not working their book of business. So that would be the first thing that you would know if you've done a good job or if you've impacted somebody's life, if they would most definitely remember you when something like this comes up. Or I get many calls where I've helped somebody or you know we've done a mortgage and even times where I thought that it was such a terrible experience and then you get a phone call six months later And that client saying, hey, you know what, forget about what happened. You know, we got your mortgage. Thank you very much. You know, very appreciated what you did. But we have a friend that needs your assistance. That would be the primary source. Obviously, having realtors or referral sources are probably the most important way to grow a business that you just don't know about. Understanding that realtors are such a huge component of your business. The first question I ask when potential agents come into my office is, tell me who your referral sources are. And you can't imagine the stuff that I hear. It's unbelievable. I wouldn't say the first meeting, but you kind of know when you get into the nitty gritty of normally the second meeting with the potential agent, if they're going to be successful at the very beginning or if they really have to work at it. So if they don't have referral sources like real estate agents, I believe that it's a long process. And I went through that long process. So I didn't have any realtors and it took me better part of 10 years to grow the book of business that I have right now. So anybody looking to jump into this industry or have just started out, it's really important to look for those relationships with your realtors. And if you're getting into something where there's already a book available to you or you already have those established connections, make sure you're working that consistently. B2B is the most important thing. B2C is one thing, but B2B is going to get you there a lot quicker. 
when you're self-employed, you basically eat what you kill in, in this business. It is really tough to see an agent after six months not performing and knowing that they're in trouble. And unfortunately, I've seen that more than I've seen success in this business. When it comes to getting a client in the door, you get an application, you start talking with that client. Is it very difficult to determine if that's an A client or a B client right away, or does it take a lot of time? I find that people don't really want to tell you everything, especially the initial conversation with them. I believe that people want to tell you more about their situation, their case, more than answering any of your questions that are very critical. I believe that the first conversation should be, okay, fire away. Tell me what you got. Let's talk. And here's another thing that I think that is such a big issue in my particular book of business and in my life in this business is the art of the deal, as they call it, is such a big focal point. I think that people in this business forget about slowing it down and understanding what the client really is asking for. The reality is, is that if you don't manage expectations properly at the very beginning, and when is it time to be honest with somebody? So is it the right time to be honest right then and there? There's no wrong answer. Is the right time to get all the information and then speak to them about, okay, I know this is what you want, but this is what I can get you. When is the right time? So the art of that is all of it. And I think just from a lender perspective as well, the importance of the five C's of credit the importance of KYC, so know your client, is so important to us when we're committing on a file. We want to make sure that, you know, we're committing the right conditions, conditions that you can satisfy with the client. If you can elaborate a little bit more how important that is and getting that information from a client, because I'm sure you've seen it quite a bit where a client comes to you, gives you this information, you package it and send it to a lender this way. And then all of a sudden, two weeks before closing, something changes on that application and you didn't know because the client didn't tell you and now the file is upside down, going sideways. Brennan, how many times have we been in those conversations? <laughs> like if we can count how many times we've been in those conversations, we might as well write a book. So that's so important. Sorry to cut you. But let me elaborate on that because I think it's really important. In the conversation at the very beginning, especially when somebody's trying to tell you the whole story, I mean, if you're not empathetic, don't be in the business. I mean, you have to show empathy. Depends on the type of client that you're speaking to. Sometimes the client's only looking for rate. George, you're advertising this. You know what? How do I get that? And in most cases, what happens is that at the very, very beginning, as the client is speaking to me, I am asking questions. And there's three topics that I want to get to the bottom of. And I will not get off the phone until I get those three topics. Number one, credit. I always speak to them about credit. What do you know about your credit? Have you pulled your credit? Do you know anything about your credit? Do you have a car payment? So I just speak to them a little about that when I have time because sometimes we receive a lot of information, number one. So number two would be most definitely income. And that would always be the last thing I speak about because it's most complicated. But for the sake of this conversation, let's go number two, income. So I speak to them. Tell me a little bit about your income. How do you get paid? I don't care if you make cash. Tell me how you get paid so I can really understand it. And I do always ask them if they've done their taxes because it does allow me to understand which way I go. Doesn't matter if they're salaried, doesn't matter if they're hourly. I always say, are you up to date with your taxes? I always talk about that on the income side. Number three, if we're talking about a purchase, it's down payment. Or if we're talking about a refi, it's loan to value. So number three, because as the person is speaking to me or they're telling me about their situation, I'm making my notes and I'm just kind of putting some bullet points together. And then, of course, number three would be, okay, so what are we doing here? If you're purchasing a home, how much down payment are we looking at? So those are the three things that I like to cover right away because as the information comes in, especially the first conversation, people are excited. There are times where people have been told by other referral sources, you know, you want to talk to George, right? And then there's other times they're like, 
you know what, I have a, somebody I'm working with, let's talk a little bit about you know, your approach and what you might need. So depending on the situation, I would most definitely want to cover those three things. And when you're looking at the five C's of credit, when I have those ingredients and no documents now, I can start to communicate with the client on what documents I'm looking for. As you know, our mortgage business is like peeling an onion. So you get one set of documents, and then if you're not explaining things to the client right away and not having them understand how the underwriting process works, then I believe it's a big failure. So if we can get to that conversation, normally conversation number two, we talk about the underwriting process. If we get to that in the first conversation and the clients are very swift, I can ease them into how underwriting works. One of the biggest, I think, issues that we have as agents in the business and as sales in our business is that we're not preparing the client, which is what gets those calls. We have those calls two weeks before funding saying, hey, George, come on. You know, your application says X, documents say Y. What happened? So we're trying to eliminate that, obviously. But if you're looking at the five C's of credit, and that's a more recent approach, last little while, I believe we're very successful based on that approach. Yeah, I think that's a great approach. We see a lot of, you know, reservations from clients a lot of the time, too. They don't really want to share a lot of information. But, you know, as a broker, you're sending their application to a lender. You're trying to get them the highest lender value, the best rate possible. And that's just something that you have to explain to the client along the way as well is, I can't get you that unless you give me the information that I need to package that deal properly. While we're on, you know, alternative business, I just wanted to know, you know, what are some key factors you look for in an alternative lender when deciding where you're going to send that file? Well, first of all, it's all about guidelines. We have to make sure that the client fits within the guidelines. So that would be the biggest factor. It's how this business is driven on, I would say, the majority of the time you're looking at fitting guidelines with the client's information. But number two is interesting. And this is something that we're doing at our office, and lately we've been doing it, is exceptions. I know that Home Trust has been very, very good with us based on certain exceptions. I mean, not asking for the whole world. But when you're looking at understanding what flies as an exception and what doesn't, this is what determines how we can work with a lender, especially on the alt space. If the lender is willing to work with us based on one document, it's not 100% specific, but it does outline kind of what we're trying to achieve. It's the last document in the file. That document will get us broker complete. We cannot get anything else because, again, another issue that people don't really realize is that a lot of the clients they don't know what we're asking for. They don't understand mortgages. So when we're asking for documents, because an underwriter's come back and said, okay, you know what, this is what we need, A, B, and C, and you go back to the client, it's kind of like the underwriter's expecting the client to know that these are the documents that are needed, and why don't you have them? Mm -hmm. So one of the things I think that we're trying to achieve here is trying to prepare the clients that this is a real tough piece. And when you're looking at the alt space as a broker or agent, we're constantly looking at who's willing to work with us as easy as possible so that the experience is not so rough. We don't want turbulence on every single deal as we're going into closing. And that's a big number two for us. A number three would be, obviously, away from the guidelines, it's interest rate. And that's supposed to be number one. And everybody talks about it as being number one. You know, Home Trust has this interest rate. This lender has that interest rate. I get it. That only works if that particular client would be approved from both companies. Then you have a conversation of interest rate. And that's something that, obviously, Brennan, you and I have that conversation a lot more than we want to. But there are clients that are all-day clients. They're going to be that, you know, for a very long time. 
and interest rate does play a role in it. And we cannot forget that the internet and the amount of advertising, marketing, and the amount of information that's on the internet, we can't go and be happy about offering somebody an interest rate that's higher than what's being advertised for an all client on the internet. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. Yeah, no, for sure. And we can appreciate that as well. I mean, for us, we believe that, you know, rate is only part of the equation. It's really about understanding that client and what you said before too. It really comes down to if you're looking for an exception or, you know, the client doesn't have this piece of documentation, but they have this piece of documentation. It comes down to knowing that client, knowing the story, what you can provide, what you can't provide. And that's also what helps make that process you know, a lot smoother, which is what we want ultimately have a very smooth process. It's not always that way, but that's what we're dealt with. What are some challenges that you see within the alternative space right now? I believe that the challenges are trying to understand what the client already knows about their file or what they've been told by, say, bankers or brokers. When a client is self-employed, because I believe that the alternative space was heavily driven on people that are self-employed that could not show income, banks were declining them, then you bring in this amazing product that comes in. It's a nice product, give us some bank statements and you know, let's talk a little bit about how they have revenue and what kind of drives that. When you're looking at challenges in the business, what happens is we've got a ton of people in this business that, depending on how ethical you are, and by no means is can anybody be 100% ethical. They try, but you have people coming and expecting, I believe, interest rates that you can't offer in the Alt-A space. And there's a lot of people in this business that have been driven by volumes. So one broker may have a better deal than another broker. And dealing with those types of things, and especially when I first started the franchise, I mean, it was just me and I was just doing a little bit of business and people were coming and saying, well, I would have been offered this rate and I'm looking at my rate sheet and I'm saying, how could they be offered that rate? So our business, the major factor obviously is finance and money. So when finance and money are in the equation, it's very difficult for ethics to be such a focal point of our business. We try, we do our best, but if you've got big brokers that are giving a lending institution a lot of money, there's a ton more pull there on establishing a better rate. There's a ton more pull of how an underwriter treats you versus somebody who's just coming in. Based on our conversations, we want to reach to a wide audience. And for the most part, there are probably people that just want to get in the business or just receive their certificate. And if they hear this, the reality is, is that depending on what kind of a broker you are, how much volumes you give these lenders, it's unfortunately not an even playing field. And I want to be honest to a fault when it comes to answering questions like this. We have to open up dialogue knowing that the playing field, if it's not even, then we have to know it's not even. I mean, I learned the hard way. And then you have to kind of live with it. Dealing with companies like Home Trust that have come into this mix with these alternative products have really saved a ton of people from private lending. And it was funny, you and I actually, we were together a couple of years back with your boss. We were talking about a conversation I just want to touch upon very quickly, and it's how these things work. Home Trust was in the business of buying books of business from Mix, mortgage investment corporations. And Home Trust was looking at the actual business that was written by the mortgage investment corporations, which are considered private lenders in our business. And they were saying, my God, we could have wrote half this business. So educating what the Alt-A client is to the agent is insanely important, but it's also insanely difficult because the bar is not perfect. Sometimes brokers get away with something 
that another broker does not get away with. So that has to be something that we can hopefully revisit and work on, but I don't know if it would ever change. And I think that's an interesting point that you brought up there is that there is a significant amount of business that goes, you know, maybe private that could be, you know, a home trust deal. And I find that a lot of the times the right questions were not asked. They didn't go dig a little bit deeper to maybe, you know, peel the onion, like you said, right? Get that extra layer off, find out what really was going on with that client. That ultimately could have been a home trust client, could have a better rate, maybe a higher loan to value, that sort of thing. So, you know, to anybody who's, you know, starting out in this industry, it's important to know your client. Well, that's great. I mean, Brendan, what we do in our office is I have my underwriter. The way it's set up in our office is that we have one person that actually sends in deals by himself. He's self-sufficient. He's amazing. But the remainder of the team sends it through our underwriting portal. Now, the underwriter is amazing. I argue with her all the time over this, and it's a healthy argument. And we'll discuss. Sometimes, you know, she's kind of stuck. She's like, okay, you know, should I send this deal in? She'll call. And I'm always a big advocate of saying, talk to the BDM. This is something that you have to get a yes or a no from the BDM before you just become lazy and send it off to private lending. The reality is, is that depending on how busy you are and how much time you can put into a file is so big when it comes to this mortgage business. This business has become so specific with documents. If you're not reading every single document, and I'll give you an example. I'm reading an appraisal and I think I read the whole appraisal. And I send it off and the lender calls and says, yeah, I can lend on this property. And there's a footnote at the bottom of page seven of 11 that, of course, I think I'm reading the whole appraisal. And again, you know, you're speed reading. And it's like, you know, this is beside a gas station. It's there. And the lender says, yeah, you can't let me beside a gas station. Well, there's four days before closing. Where do we go here? Yeah. So I believe that because the mortgage business, the underwriting is insanely specific with documents, you have to spend the time and you have to communicate with the BDM, which becomes crazy because the BDM is answering how many questions? Like how busy is the BDM? Which goes back to that thought process we just had. How big are you? How much business do you send the company where you establish yourself? This is the art of all lending. This is where you stand when you're in the business, when you're dealing with the brokerage that you might want to sign up with. These are major questions that you have to ask and know. Do you have any advice for agents or brokers who want to take their alternative space game to the next level? And you've done that since inception of your franchise in 09. You've built this big business now. You know, is there any piece of advice from that whole process that you think could bring you know, somebody else to that next level? Yeah, I believe that you have to break it down. Like, who are you prospecting to? Like, who is your referral sources? Where is the business coming from? So it all starts from there. If you're going to try and build your business and you're established in the business or you're an up-and-comer and you understand products, you have to dig into those products. So number two would be razor-sharp product knowledge. It cannot be anything different than that. Once you get to a point where you know them off by heart, I remember going to Seneca and doing the broker course through Seneca. And yes, I've done actually both. I've done the new broker course with Camp back then. And of course, Seneca, I'm one of the weird ones. And I'm going through this course and I'm talking to some of the guys that are, you know, a little more seasoned than me. And, and we're talking about a certain deal. And this one guy starts to just rock and roll. George, no problem. I can do that deal. 1.76, blah, 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 blah. This guy starts reciting. Like when I say reciting, policy, products, guidelines, and interest rate. Well, based on what you just told me, A, B, C, D, and E. I just looked at this guy and I'm like, wow. This person, this individual is so dialed in. It actually woke me up. Yeah. 
I was like, you can't be sloppy here. Your pencil cannot be dull. You have to know your products, especially when you get into the business, you kind of like it and you're kind of moving forward. You're making some money. Products, number two. Number three, which is the most important thing. If you don't get to a point where you have to know that your clients don't know anything about the business, you have to get to that point. You have to simplify it so much that when you're talking to them, you're talking like they're in kindergarten when it comes to mortgages, financing money, loan to values. Everything that you want to tell them has to be put in such a simplistic way. Once you realize that they get it, then you can build the conversation to become very, I guess, hopefully fruitful and as complicated as you can make it. The third one, I think, would be more of an art mastering. You know, how do you talk to a client? This part of it, I believe, is the gravy. It will accelerate your business and people will talk about you. You're in a position where if you've done a good job and you've explained it and you've tried to make it as smooth as possible and you warned them about turbulence and you warned them about how specific the process is, they may tell somebody else. That's how you ignite the business, I believe, in such a fruitful way. Can you just talk a little bit about the importance of choosing the right lender partners in the alternative space? I mean, we're here for a reason. Home Trust has built their model over alternative lending space. You never built your model in the A space. There is such a demand for the alternative lending space for Canadians, period. Especially in Toronto, you have 6.5 million people in, in the GTA. Not everybody's going to be a AAA borrower. The importance of having relationships in the alternative space is probably, on a scale of 1 to 10, I would say 10. And I'm not saying it because I'm here. I'm just saying it because there are two really important things that you need to know. One is understanding when you talk about whether you can satisfy a client with their expectations based on everything, including rate. And number two, the most realistic conversation you can have with them and how do you have it with them. The two most important things. When you're having the realistic conversation with them and you know that you're going to gear them up for an alternative lending uh, solution, you have to understand that A, it's their choice. B, you have to give them all the reasons why. And knowing the importance of the partnership, whatever you're saying in the conversation to the actual client, you have to know 95% of it that the lender is going to agree. So the relationship between you and the lender is so important because you can't be telling the client something that the lender is going to come back and say, we're not going to do it. And I've learned the hard way. I mean, years back, I'd be saying, oh, that's great. Yeah, 12 months bank statements. You know, we can take a look at the revenue. Underwriter comes back and says, I cannot include these particular deposits as revenue based on A, B, C, D, and E. So the relationship between you and the lender has to be so important that you kind of know which way you go, what you can say or do. And if you don't have that relationship with the lender for them to tell you these things, then I don't think you'll be successful in this business. And last question here. You've been a big supporter of Home Trust over the last few years. Perhaps you can just let the listeners know why Home Trust. Well, you have a couple of niche products on the alternate lending space. I mean, the 65% loan-to-value product is like a game saver. We've used that product more than oh, I thought we'd ever use. You're talking about non-conforming, you know, with rates that are very reasonable with a 1% fee. I mean, that's a game saver. Number one is when people come to you and say, I don't have any income, but I have somebody who's rooming with me. There's rent coming. Obviously, they don't know how the mortgage business works. And they're non-conforming. They're a 35% down payment. They've sold their home. I mean, we're doing a deal right now like that. 
the client already knows they can't go to the bank. They already know they don't have any income. They already know that they're fixed with whatever they come there. They already know they're on disability or whatever the situation is. So they're already in a position where when a broker or a banker comes and speaks to them, they're already ready to hear bad news. So that product, Brennan, I can tell you right now, without that product, I don't know what this business would be like without having the non-conforming 65% loan-to-value product that you have. The ELV product is probably more important than people know or think. I think the ELV product is a game changer when it comes to people that are self-employed. It's also a game changer because when you're looking at the AAA space and looking at what Genworth did and now you have the you know, self-employed reasonability study that the people use on the A space, what happens is that you can't refinance. So when business owners that have already gone through that and everything's fantastic, they're with, say, a First National or they're with somebody you know, on the A space, what happens is their business changes. So having the ELV product that will go behind anybody, other than private, obviously, right? So to go behind any institution, another game changer. So you've got two products that I believe are second to none in this business, second to none. Then you have the, I would say, the standard, as they call it, right? You've got the 80% loan-to-value. I mean, when I started this business, things were much different. You know, ELVs were at 90%. Like, it was pretty awesome, right? Wish that came back. But with the standard products that you have, I mean, this is all about pricing. It's all about, you know, does the client fit into this product? I mean, that's going to be a regular underwriting thing that we don't really need to dig deep into. But those two products I mentioned are true game changers, and thank goodness you guys have them. It does so much, and it also builds a little bit of something different that I don't know if some people take for granted, but you now become that household name. When you do a home trust ELV, like for some, you give them a couple hundred thousand, they know how your processes work. They know how your office works. They know when they make the phone call to customer service. They know if it's a good or bad experience. So when you're presenting a home trust mortgage, say, down the road, and you're saying, you know what, this has happened, maybe their credit was bruised, whatever reason, now you're presenting a home trust mortgage, not only do you have a relationship with home trust, but you get in a situation where they kind of know already the company. They've already dealt with the company, which is bigger, I believe, in how we do business than people think. Well, thank you for that. Some great feedback there. George, I want to thank you for your continued support of home trust. We truly appreciate it. Thank you for joining me on this podcast as well. It's been really fun. But yeah, no, I just want to say thank you again for stopping by. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Again, this is something that came out of left field. You know, when you actually asked me to do this, I was thinking, okay, we knew what we were going to talk about, but we just didn't realize that something like this may impact some other people in the business. So thank you for having me. It'd be great that uh, maybe we get a golf game. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.